Hi, I'm Orla McNeilis. And I'm Ricardo Deacon. And this is a recommendation game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch it and then we meet to discuss it. So, this week's film is 1992's Unforgiven. Oh good, I watched the right movie. <laughs> Directed by Clint Eastwood, produced by Clint Eastwood. Written by David Webb Peoples. Music by Lenny Niehaus. Cinematography by Jack N. Green. And edited by Joel Cox. Starring Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, Richard Harris, James Woolvet, Saul Rubinek and Francis Fisher. So the synopsis is, the town of Big Whiskey is full of normal people trying to lead quiet lives. Cowboys try to make a living. Sheriff Little Bill tries to build a house and keep a heavy-handed order. The town whores just try to get by. Then a couple of cowboys cut up a whore. Dissatisfied with Bill's justice, the prostitutes put a bounty on the cowboys. The bounty attracts a young gun, billing himself as the Schoolfield Kid, an aging killer William Money. Money reformed for his young wife and has been raising crops and two children in peace. But his wife is gone. Farm life is hard. And money is no good at it. So he calls his old partner Ned, saddles up his ornery nag and rides off to kill one more time. <laughs> that is a good synopsis that I found in IMDb. Like shout by a random to, guy, shout Charlie out, Ness. Shout out to Charlie Ness who sounds for like that gem. <laughs> the brother of like Unforgiven, not Unforgiven, uh, the Untouchables <laughs> detective Elliot Ness. Um... <laughs> In some far off dimension, they are related. Now, it's a hard <laughs> film to uh, synopsisize. <laughs> Inventing words since 1989. Uh, but yeah, um, the... that's how I ended up getting that synopsis, basically. This week's film was picked by Ricardo. It was indeed. Yes, and why? Um, first of all, I'm just going to digress straight away. Um, it's weird. No. Oh my god! At the top, shocking. I know. <laughs> David Webb Peoples uh, is an amazing writer. He wrote like Blade Runner. Like, like I can't believe that's the same guy. It's so weird. Well, like uh, Hampton Fincher wrote the original draft, but it has nothing to do with the finished movie. Kind yeah, of. yeah. Like yeah. it starts in the farmhouse and like <laughs> fucking. I, is it closer to the book? Uh, the original. No. no. <laughs> it's a Hampton Fincher script. Uh, what a name. But uh, I'm always interested in genre and discussing genres. And in this case, it's a twofold, well, three reasons, really, that I picked this movie. Ooh. Well, four, really. One, because you haven't seen it, obviously. Uh, like every other week. Yeah. Uh, two is the, the only other Western that we have done um, is My Darling Clementine, that is about the larger than life. <laughs> Claire Wax on Night. Um, contentious uh, but it is um, about Wyatt Earp who's a bigger than life character mythologized uh, yeah. by American pop culture of the time and through cinema as well and it's a good counterpoint with that especially with uh, the disciple with English Bob and the writer whose name is W.W. Beauchamp which I love <laughs> Beauchamp uh, Beauchamp I can't pr- pronounce it because it's like westerners pronouncing a French name uh, and then also it's the interesting thing that happens with genre within Hollywood that doesn't happen anywhere in, else in the world because Hollywood is a movie factory business it's not an yeah. art creation business strangely <laughs> enough yeah. <laughs> because 
uh, genres come and go. You had the epic, you had the western. It's like the big box office kind of success. Yeah. It just drives them to make more and more and more until the genre dies. Yeah. And then it evolves into something else. Like in the western, it would have happened like through the early 70s with Peckinpah and Robert Altman. The, all the optimisms the gone. The grittier, yeah. yeah. And also like... Uh, Getting the, rid of heroes. Yeah. And then after years and years that that happens... You get something like Unforgiven that is completely dealing with the tropes of a Western. Mm. And the great thing about genre filmmaking is that you can really explore things that you can't in other types of movies because you're already exploring through the audience's uh, preconception of what the movie is going to be. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it makes it even better that Clint Eastwood uh, it's in the movie never mind that he directed yeah it. it's kind of going full circle yeah. really it's like the him completing his his life his and, life's journey and through not, the western genre it, and it's no coincidence that the the movie is dedicated to Sergio Leone and um what's the other name Sergio Leone on John Ford no uh the guy that directed other Don Siegel ah yes that he directed a few the 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 <clears throat> first American westerns that Clint Eastwood did because the the first westerns were Sergio Leone that's how he became a star yeah and it's uh, it's an interesting um, concept of a film uh, highly regarded as one of the best westerns ever but also as one of the best scripts ever written mm. and also I thought it would be a good counterpoint to discuss this movie and the evolution of a genre compared to where we are now with superhero genres yeah okay and that's interesting since it's like a clear kind of like there's things that are happening in superhero genres right now that you could see in westerns yeah and I wanted to discuss that as well but first of all obviously uh, what's your take in the movie yeah <laughs> Also, I think it's a pretty good movie. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, this is definitely a film that comes with, like, uh, a very serious reputation uh, and a very serious cast as well. Like, this is a pretty... Um, I didn't even know that Richard Harris is in this, so whenever he turns up, I was like, Jesus, that's Richard Harris. But, um, which is why whenever he gets a shake kicked out of him, I was like, no, but that's the old guy from The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, stop kicking Dumbledore. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's interesting that you talk about um, about genre, and uh, I was thinking a lot about the difference between a good film and like a good western or a good genre film. And I think that this is a good western, but not necessarily a good film. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> controversial. Uh, oh, I know it's controversial. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Well, first of all, I think it's very interesting, like, as you said, that Clint Eastwood um, is in this movie and that he casts himself. He's kind of like, he's not the hero. He's not really the villain, but he's, he's, he's villainous in some regards, but he's kind of like a sad villain. Like, there's nothing kind of triumphant in his villainry, if you know what I mean. Like, it's it's very, like, different to other characters that he's played, like, within the Western kind of scenario. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, 
and he's he's weak in a lot of ways as well like more ways than one even in just like he obviously talks a lot about weakness and how back whenever he was young that he was weak and you know he was reckless he was violent he was uh he mistreated animals <laughs> but uh as he would say if killed yeah. anything that walked or crawled along this earth yeah, at one point it. or another <laughs> the crawl is in there yeah i killed women and children but um yeah even how like how you know like quite sort of halfway through the film he succumbs to a fever which is a very kind of like a very human affliction you know it's not something that you know like it's kind of it's interesting um but yeah i (laughs) I think like it's it's obviously like it's got a very strong reverence to its influences and i think that that's very admirable that it knows it's obviously it knows its source material it knows exactly where it's coming from it knows all the points which it's come from especially because it is Clint Eastwood and he like lived the Haiti of this genre but um I don't think it ever really truly like gets beyond them and never like truly gets beyond its cliches oh my god like, like uh, 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 I just <laughs> interject there uh I just for the record because yeah. I feel like I completely disagree with yeah. pretty much everything that you're saying well, that's okay and, but, I watched this twice just to be sure. But like <laughs> even in the in the conceptual phase of your argument, like I kind of it's one of the first times that I sit here and I listen to you and I was like, did you watch the right movie or did you just watch like Unforgiven the Metallica video? <laughs> <laughs> because I, 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 I okay, look, like one of my biggest. Are we into this now? <laughs> oh, we're into this. Okay, okay. like. One of, my biggest, ding, 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 one of ding. my biggest problems with this is that it's constantly telling you rather than showing you. Like, constantly. And, like, I think... And, like, about, like, how it's so... Everything, how tragic it is and how, you know, things aren't black and white, you know? Things are... There's shades of grey. There are no heroes, you know? There were no heroes in the West. And it's, like... That is an interesting idea. And it's an interesting, like... Especially in the 90s, to look back... And to re-evaluate the whole idea of the Western. But, like, I think probably one of, like, the best... One of the things that, like... And it was quite early on in the film, and I was just like... First of all, like, Clancy Eastwood will, will not stop talking about his fucking wife. Like, he says basically the sentence, you know, oh, she set me straight about 14 times in the first opening half hour of the movie. And you're like, but it, that and is you're like, his mantra. And you're as, like, an, as somebody that is addicted, you always have yes, a mantra. And know, that is his. But it's just like, and it's like, oh, you know, you're blessed ma. You know, it's like, oh, like. Well, that's okay. how they, <clears throat> it's quite accurate to the dialogue. Hold sorry. On, okay, right. It's, it's not like, I really like was encapsulated in how whenever, he decides that you're like the kids come and like you know drafted him in and he's there like practicing with the gun and you have the whole scene of like oh he can't shoot anymore <gasps> and uh and then like the kids and like <laughs> the little girl goes did daddy used to shoot people and you're like do <sighs> you didn't, like it's just she didn't have to say that you know what i mean it's like the kids are there like stricken because they're like what's going on like what what is dad doing like this is the the dad that they've only known as like you know the widower the man who's raising them in a shack teaching them how to you know look after fever hogs you know what i mean he's like fever hog that'd be a good band name you know he's and then it's like it's just it's all on their little faces and then it's like you know oh 
did daddy used to shoot people? I was just like, oh, no. Like, I find a real problem with the dialogue in this and how how on the nose so much of it is, how cliched so much of it is, and then also how, a lot of the time, how people would be repeating what the what person has just said to them, and I'd just be like, we get it, we get it, we get it. Like, every single thing just, like, constantly. And, like, even how, like, characters are introduced and everything, it just, everything that it was sort of supposed to be kind of, like, not subverting because I don't think this is like a movie that's trying to subvert the western or anything like I feel like this is quite a earnest movie in a lot of ways but and it's just yeah I, <laughs> I think that like okay I know no hold on hold on right because I want to say nice things <laughs> Well, not really. Well, like, <laughs> like, before we change, I, I want to address... Because you said okay. a lot of things. I don't want okay. to okay. forget okay. any okay. any okay. points there. Okay. First of all, like the the kids going, oh, mama, papa. The performance is not great. I'll give you that. No. But the thing is that like the kid is listening, ears dropping to their conversation. So yeah. he knows that his dad is like... It's not that he's leaving to go on a... Like, quote-unquote business trip whatever like go to the farmer's market or whatever <laughs> yeah. they they know that he's gonna go to collect a bounty yeah and like kids that age they talk or whatever so the daughter doesn't understand like what a bounty is even perhaps and i think that that line is genuine and it falls in because even in in like frontier men yeah it's kind of that even if you're just like a normal farmer you would expect that somebody killed some or like you were at least in a place of violence at some point yeah especially in the universe that this movie creates and i think that it's like getting to the fact that he's become such a just a farmer that even his kids like are completely flabbergasted by the idea that he used to be a killer yeah or that he would go and ride off to kill somebody but as well in the that's just the first four minutes yeah, of the that's, movie that's very small i just for me but it, it illustrates for the, the greater problem for the the rest is is a movie that holds part of its influence at heart but it is a very cynical movie and it underpins everything that the western stood for for the previous he does what peckinpah couldn't do because peckinpah kind of shot not shy himself because he believed in the myth of the big man but the idea at the end of like the wall bunch is that everybody's fucked in the end but heroes can arise even in the most horrible situations especially if you're horrible people mm. there's a line like in the wall bunch that is like uh, everybody needs a bit of peace perhaps even the bad even the evil people perhaps mm. especially the evil people uh, paraphrasing obviously because that would never make it into a Hollywood <laughs> picture but in in this movie it's uh, there's this undercurrent of cynicism throughout that like any other movie that dealt with this plot yeah, somebody would have the heart of gold it would be like the prostitute with the heart of gold yeah, yeah. there will be uh, the sheriff would be a good guy He's an, he, but it's not only like shades of grey it's like not only in in the way the uh, westerns dealt with these characters throughout and american culture and even the the dime store novels that this movie actually refers directly to mm. is also the stories that we tell ourselves is that the fact that we have a nature that we pretend not to have and we can't escape them mm. 
and the dialogue is on the nose on purpose to be pulpy western but it has an undercurrent of themes that are not usually uh, placed in western movies so I, I think that that undercurrent is what made that film special and very worthy winner of a uh, best picture oscar I, I agree with you that that is clearly what the film is doing but i don't think that that and how it's executed makes it a great film well like i think <laughs> if you compare this to another like n- not revisionist but modern uh readaptation of a dead genre if you compare this to a like confidential they really pair up quite a lot and you could tell the what's the name of the director of um like confidential um oh god um he directed wonder boys as well oh whatever his name is uh in her shoes as well somehow Uh, but the his approach was clearly what um Clint Eastwood's approach was with this as well. That you use the nostalgia of the genre and the ideas that the audience has and completely cut them to the aspect that when you leave the movie, you kind of reassess, in my opinion, like a lot about your own take of popular culture. Like you reassess other Westerns as well. And some come out strong and some like, straight like i'm talking about straight line westerns now like my cave mrs miller yeah, kind of yeah, thing yeah 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 but what it did is that it i think completely disagree with you with your original uh point uh this movie transcends the genre unlike any western since like what modern westerns are they we tend to yuma i think Appaloosa. that i think that the way the one way that and I was getting to this before you jumped in. <laughs> uh, the, the one way, because like I'll, we'll get to characters and, and how I find most of the characters really unbelievable. Um, but that the one way that this does feel interestingly revisionist is in the female characters. And I think that going back to what I was saying about like the kids and the dialogue and everything, like I think that Sally probably has one of the best, most subtle moments in the entire film. Um, which is then undermined afterwards, but where she, you know, she's literally only on screen for probably like 10 seconds and she just walks over to the horse and just touches the butt of the rifle and just, you know, it's all on her face because she knows exactly what's going to happen. And then even whenever they're leaving and she's just looking at them and it's like, everything is on her face. She doesn't have to say anything and then and then she doesn't have to go in to the kitchen and be like, I don't want you going, etc, etc. Because you know why she doesn't want him going. Because yeah. she knows he's probably not going to come back, which he doesn't. So then obviously the scene afterwards when they're at the fire and, you know, they have the whole conversation about it, which just totally undermines it because it's like, we already know. We don't need to talk about this. And there's another excuse for like... um Clint Eastwood would be like, I'm not that guy anymore. She thinks I'm that guy. And it's like, oh, shut up. Like, <laughs> um, but getting back to the female characters, like I think that in the revisionist sense, the prostitutes are the most interesting characters because they are taking, they're given much more of a presence in the film and much more agency, much more than just, you know, like than you would find in traditional Westerns. Not all Westerns, most like, you know, yeah, it's a problem within that genre. That's fine, but even just the fact that they, you know, they take control of their own lives. They're demanding respect as human beings, not as animals, not just as whores. They are prominent throughout the film. 
they are given character I feel like they are the strongest most interesting most different part of this like kind of in the way of of like um it's just because I thought about a lot about Deadwood in this and how Deadwood managed to have interesting female characters who weren't prostitutes but you know it's like I've no problem with the fact that almost all the named well all the big female characters in this are prostitutes it's a western that's okay but they their story is more interesting and obviously it's like the catalyst for the whole story altogether but like that was the more interesting more revisionist part of it for me everything else that they were doing just felt I don't know it just felt I it felt obvious and I feel like if I had been more invested in these characters the fact that they were very clearly um subverting all of these tropes and things that were problematic in westerns you know in, in like what you're saying not not kind of like the more um hybrid western or whatever but like you know straight up westerns spaghetti westerns or whatever like yeah I, <laughs> I feel like if I was more invested in them and and felt that they were more like like I think Morgan Freeman's character is a great example of this because he's just Morgan Freeman there's no he didn't feel like he's not really he doesn't really have very much to do like I don't really buy I, I like when I see them together and they have this like kind of odd humorous bromance and kind of like aspiring it made me think an awful lot of like you know Wyatt Earp and uh, and Doc and everything and yeah. that kind of like you know that real like you know masculine bromance you know like bound by violence or whatever but like you know and they're kind of like you know going along on their horses it's like I don't believe that these guys were ever mostly probably because they're quite old but that's a and it, but that's a it, it, that is on purpose because it, the fact that Ned they didn't even know that uh, Will was sober anymore and if somebody like throughout the movie that they're that, old that's not some purpose n- not that only that they're old because uh, I'll tell you now uh, before an interesting story about the script okay. of the movie but the reason that their relationship is kind of stilted throughout the movie is that when it's alluded to a few times that Will was absolutely off his face for the entire time that they hung out together and they did all these killing, killings and stuff. So much so that there's a lot of um, blackouts that Will doesn't remember killing certain individuals. Yeah. And stilted is a good word. Yeah, but it is stilted. In relation to dialogue in general. On I purpose that it, it can you can tell that it's two old friends that have... It's like that was a drunk Bob or whatever in Friends that he becomes sober and becomes boring in a different individual. Is yeah. that Ned has never seen Will actually be able to talk to him the way that he's talking to him there. And there's like that you're criticizing uh, um, Morgan Freeman's performance for just playing Morgan Freeman. I don't think his performance. But, I don't think he's phoned this in. But it's there's, not bad. M- but there's it's moments... That he doesn't feel... It's, it's, the, it's the dialogue. It's the... But there's moments in the, like in that campfire and throughout the movie that he expects Will to do something else. Even when he's trying to bicker him to drink whiskey because it's raining and that's how they thought that they could fight off the cold. <laughs> but, Science. Yeah. Uh, very realistic way of I felt uh, and in a way still heightened because it is proper genre filmmaking that uh, of two friends I haven't seen each other f- for a long time and the the only actual reason that they're hanging out is because they're doing a job 
they're linked not because of wanting to be together necessarily. Mm. It's because Ned, in a way, wants to go to help him, I think. Not only for the money. What you're describing, I think, of that kind of friendship and it being stilted and everything, I think it comes across best in their first meeting when they're in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, I like that scene. And then everything afterwards, up until really he finds out that Ned is dead, I didn't buy. Yeah, but like even when Ned dies, it's... It's really for the past that he does. And I think it's a link that he drinks right before going. That is not only that oh, I'm going to do some killing. So I better get back on the wagon. It's that almost going back to the character that he was when he was around Ned. Because he did kill people beforehand. Yeah. And in a way as well, the, the only way that he can really be an effective killer is to be off his face. And I think that... That moves through the film and um, with the Schofield kill as well being there and uh, his face is proper, like great casting face wise. The terrible actor though. Yeah, like the performance <laughs> is not the the, the best. The, uh, like the kind of like sort but of generational face, thing there is like. Yeah, but his face. You know, well, when you have, because even like Richard Harris is old as well. Like these are like the old, the old guard, the old, yeah. the old dogs, and also this is like what eighteen seventies. Yeah. This is like the end. No, eighteen like, eighties. It's been you know, ten years is, since his wife. Yeah, yeah, this is like the end of the West, kind of. Not really. So, the, the, well, the, the West when like. It, if you see, like, Wall Bunch was set in 1911. Like, it's... Uh, yeah, but, like, that's not that much further away. Well, it's 30 years... Uh, 30 years later, it was World War Two, and you have, uh, yeah, yeah, like, planes and nuclear bombs. So, yeah, exactly. like, in modern it's, time, 30 years is a lot. That's true. Um, yeah, no, I think his, his, his performance is terrible. But, um, the yeah, like, the generational thing is interesting because of, like... It is, it is kind of playing a lot around the whole thing of, like they it's all about your reputation like the sheriff's reputation and these old guys reputations and how like this kid is trying to make his own out of nothing and like giving his himself his own a quick name cue and... that i think you're gonna agree with yeah the a movie that i like more than this so there's no argument there <laughs> but i think that it's clearly inspired especially with the relationship of the kid and the other generation is the assassination of Jesse James by the car of Robert Ford that I, did I think didn't, of that. that I forgot to reference of modern westerns. Yeah. Obviously, that is an amazing modern western. Yeah, I did actually think of that though. Just as you said that, whenever yeah. like the kid turns up and they start and they like whenever they meet up with him again and like how he's completely feckless and they find out that like he can't even see like he's short sighted like me. But um, you know, I thought I was like mm, sidekick, sidekick. <laughs> okay, so. Now that we kind of got in the air, uh, what you disliked about the movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, that you said about some things of the characters themselves. So let's go one by one because I think that they're very important within what Eastwood is trying to explain. Well, not explain. He wants to say as a filmmaker while making this movie. So what do you think of Will? I like him because he's Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood is very that's the thing is that like this entire film is populated by very like pleasant screen presences you know like like people that you like spending time with but at no point in this movie did I believe in any of it so I never felt any way into him he just 
I never really like bought his performances like trying really struggling to be this farmer like it's yeah and I, I mean like it's he has a cool gunfight at the end okay <laughs> um, well I, I think that it, and also you know doesn't have sex with a prostitute so he's a good man because of the dead wife that doesn't exist it, like in a way it's weird that like it plays him off as the bad guy for not having sex with a prostitute but then again I think that it was very Does it? yeah because it goes like that he lied to her made her feel bad because now she thinks that she he didn't sleep with her just because of she being cut up not for uh, not sleeping because of his dead wife or not wanting to sleep because he even says like if I were or if I could, if I was going to pick one to sleep with, it would be you. So it just sounds like excuses. And then he decides just not to offend her. He doesn't fuck anybody kind of thing. Because then they make fun of her. Uh, yes, kind of. No, I'm not saying that the film explicitly says, but he comes off to the other characters as the bad guy for not having sex with her. Yeah. Because but, uh, sex is so natural in care, that environment. Do we care about the other characters? Yeah, I do. Um. <laughs> But I think that it's a very, very good performance, especially because you feel that undercurrent. I think that perhaps unintentionally, the fact that he's kind of like not only stilted, but almost a person pretending to be a man throughout the movie is that the only moment that he really like reveals his true self is at the end when he has the gunfight and he's mean. It's like this, even when he kills the, the second guy, uh, but it's not shocking. You know what I mean? Like that. But it's not meant to be shocking. It's but... meant to be like the. It's. At the end of it, the fucking Jing Hackman is like, I don't deserve this. And he go, and Clint Eastwood goes, There's. It's nothing about deserving or not yeah. deserving. The whole point is like, yeah, everybody's shit. And if you're in that area, you're gonna die a violent death if you're like any way involved with guns yeah and it's it could be like Clint Eastwood said oh when it gets uh, like money says to the the writer afterwards uh, when it gets to killing people I'm just lucky yeah that is not even about skill or whatever it's just like he's so calm in a gunfight uh, even when he's around you see like people just like freaking out pretty much almost like holding the gun sideways like gangster kind of yeah that was a little bit but, sort of ridiculous though but if you see especially with like the fact that they they ham it up so much when he's trying to go onto the fucking horse yeah. you know what i mean it's like oh it's been so long since he did this you know he's like this old fogey and then like at the end he's just like fucking superhero like no but it's not super, it's the fact that like every, he kills bill first who's the only guy that has been in a gunfight before mm. and in the beginning when they're gonna try to get english bob which there are seven of them against one. They're all shitting themselves except the guy with the one arm. That it's like, oh, the little Bill seems scared or whatever. <laughs> so all of yeah. them are terrified of a gunfight. So when it erupts, it's like a normal person's reaction that you have a gun and you're kind of flinching, afraid of getting shot instead of just doing what money does. That he just stands there, points and shoots. And that's very common in not only in in like war movies or westerns there there was a firefight that the fbi like the swat team of the fbi had a shootout with like some gangsters in miami 
And between the two teams, let's say, the two opposing forces, they fired 5,000 rounds of ammunition <laughs> and not a single person got hit. <laughs> and you these can train all you want. <laughs> yeah, and these people will be like in the range shooting like at 300 meters uh, yeah. hitting them. So I think that that's really realistic in a way and undermines, again, the action scenes of the Western. But uh, like the idea, even in the fucking end of the, the wall bunch that they kill like 500 people or something, explosions or whatever. But in this is kind of really just the guy that is not afraid of death, kind of almost suicidal. Yeah. Like he goes in, is the guy that is going to survive. Um, and what do you think of Little Bill? Um, I think he's more interesting than Will, really. And uh, I think like the idea of like the corrupt sheriff, he's not even corrupt. He's like, he just has a sort of a slightly different moral idea. Like he's like his his hatred of assassins or like these bad men or whatever like in the end his heart is sort of in the right place that all he wants is his quiet gun-free town where he can build a shitty house because in case you didn't realize he's a bad carpenter Um, it's like how many times you have to say that in the one scene it's like we get the joke we get it he's a bad carpenter you don't have to make it four times but um yeah like I, i think his kind of um his very like flip of aggression, especially against um, English Bob. The English Bob is quite like not like frightening, but but very like it, it's very cold, like very cold, and like his kind of change. Not that he's not always kind of like a bit of a swaggering, you know, kind of. He never feels very far from that kind of violence, but at the same time, like, it's still, it's quite, it's like, it's shocking almost how he manages to do that in broad daylight on the street in front of all these people. And, like, his deputies are like, Jesus, you know, like, what the, you know, like, not even really understanding who Little Bell is or who this guy is. It's like they're, you know, they're they're all young, even though a lot of them are not young. They've just never seen this. Whereas, like, he's been in Kansas and Texas, you know, he's, he's seen things. He worked those times. But, um, yeah, like it's, it's yeah. I, I, I like Gene Hackman, so. Well, he did win the Oscar for this movie. Um, <clears throat> did he? Yeah, best uh, uh, supporting actor. Who was he up against? Uh, I don't know. It was nineteen ninety two. But uh, I don't think it's an amazing Gene Hackman performance, though. I think it's great, uh, particularly because of the again, as Clint Eastwood undercut the idea of the genre that when he beats up English Bob and like this famous gunfighter that has a fucking biographer following him <laughs> around that and he seems not knowledgeable about the 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 actual idea of gunfighting and the idea of keeping peace uh, the the balance that you have to do to keep peace in a town like that that it mm. is when to have you the, repu- force have and the when, reputation as yeah. well that no matter who you are if you come in here with guns you're yeah. gonna be run out and that at the end of the day, like I, in recalling that of being a shitty carpenter, it's, it's really that small town. I was from a small town and I fell off my bike and people that I did not know would come up to me, like not come up to me, but I'll be talking to them on like playing football or something. And it's like, oh, you're the guy that fell off his bike. Yeah, and, and that, that's funny. And that like, but it, like it, it kept happening to the point that this, that even, but like it's even the point, the moments where they choose to do it's that. It's the way it's handled. That's it. It's like, oh, come on. It's hilarious when the, it's raining and the yeah, that's is funny. But like that first scene when they keep talking, they set up the fact that he's a bad carpenter. He says it about four times and there's like one really funny line in there. And then he 
just keeps hammering and you're like no like that but it's the thing that no matter how much respect he gets like even the though shame, he's the only respectable the shame of being a yeah, bad carpenter of being like somebody that in some way fails and i think that that is a a thor line in this movie that nobody yeah everybody, they're all fallible yeah in a way, and you think at the beginning, like while you're watching the the film first time, until he catches Ned and does what he does to Ned, mm. because even though like it's a bit yeah. excessive what he does to English Bob, but it's not unwarranted because they know each other and he knows what English Bob is there for. Yeah, that you have this idea that Gene Hackman is the hero the first time that you watch it, and then uh, it's gonna be like th- this movie's version of a hero, and then. Um, <laughs> Um, as the movie progresses because in the end like it is completely wrong how he deals with the cowpokes that it's like bring two horses and give it to the saloon owner and nothing to the the prostitute and the guy being kind of ashamed that his mate brings her the best horse that they have as a kind of blood money almost for what is like a really horrifically like a just it's a horrible crime yeah like that opening scene with the like where they're slashing it's almost like hitchcockian oh god it's really like that's a that's a very like visceral incredibly violent opening to a film like jesus but then again bill doesn't even like he gets two shots off and the, the only reason that he gets a shot off is because will's gun jams yeah and then he still misses because like the others he flinches and then he tries to talk his way out mm-hmm. of getting killed. And um, what do you think of English Bob? <laughs> um, even though, like, <laughs> English Bob seems just kind of to be there for to illustrate that um, what do you call him? That uh, uh, little what do you call him? Little Bill. Little Bill is a badass, or just like further show that kind of like old old school kind of gunslinger character and, and, and like monarchy I love that line well, yeah. a president if you're gonna you cannot shoot a queen or uh, sorry a king the because barber. you would fear uh, the... the majesty of it uh, are you talking about the monarchy again um, yeah like, but I, a president why not I, yeah and the barber's like what uh, I, like, I enjoyed him um, he feels slightly superfluous really like I like I enjoyed the interaction that he has with the other characters. I like his character because he's very entertaining, but he's barely in it, and he's just kind of there. Like again, I think structurally, not only that I love the character the way that you do as like an entertainment character, yeah. but structurally, I think that he has a very a particular reason to be in the movie. That I think the movie would be less in, uh, it would be a lesser film if he's it not in it. It is a way as well to bring in the writer guy. Yeah, it's kind of but more in the bigger picture rather than plot dynamics is what mm. I mean is um how when he shows up you expect that there's going to be like a three-way scenario that is like the the Ned, the Schofield kid and Will, Little Bill and then English Bob somewhere like and then you have like a massive three-way shootout at the end kind of thing. Yeah. And then it undercuts that the same way that yeah. it undercuts like everything that throughout the movie. I kind of like the, the the sort of the idea of the masculinity of that as well. That he is like it's shameful what happens to him. 
Like, yeah. it's not only just violent, it's incredibly shameful. Like, they literally run them out of town. And he is like, you know, the guy has a freaking biographer, like, following him around. And he's, like, on the train. Even, like, the way he's introduced is so ridiculous. It's and when like, he kills the fucking duck, uh, are they ducks? Pheasants. Pheasants, yeah, with a pistol. <laughs> he's the duck of death, though. Um, yeah, like, that. that's kind of interesting. But, like, it's kind of, that. like, just putting a character in there to undercut. You know what I mean? When... They don't undercut a trope when they don't really have any plot reason or... Well, like, the, the plot yeah. reason, it, yeah. like, it has... We already spoke that he brings the... Uh, in plot dynamics, he brings the, the writer. And also, he shows that Little Bill is somewhat, quote-unquote, a badass. Like, in, to make him a badass in the view of the town. Like, the leader kind of thing. Yeah. So, you have those two that are the plot dynamics. He undercuts a, a, a massive trope in cinema that is like so many westerns are based on like two teams trying to get the bounty and then like somebody trying to stop them yeah uh so he undercuts that and he is also an entertaining character and a great performance so like he does like (laughs) five things what else do you want what else do you want he earns his place a character that gives you like five big things in the movie I'm only showing up for like about 10-15 minutes of the running time <laughs> and like five big reasons to be in the movie and you're like uh he gives nothing I disagree I would not, I say, disagree. Are, I would not say they're five big reasons but go on go on okay and uh, to clarify something I'm gonna ask you first a question that is a first for this podcast okay mm. um but first of all to the caveat that we record, we picked the movies a week and I had the, uh, we recorded and then the months we record, they released a week later, thereabouts. Yep. Yep. Because this question was going to be because I picked this movie. Yeah. But in the interim, there was a nerd writer video about superhero movies oh, using yes, we- yes, uh, yes. Logan as an example. Okay, and. Yeah. Because Logan has a lot of Western tropes and Shane is referred to it directly. Like Shane appears oh, in the movie. Oh, Shane is the other one that yeah. I thought of. And especially in those opening scenes, Night of the Hunter and Shane were the two things. That... Well, Shane is when the end that is like uh, the, you can't live with a killing. It's paraphrased pretty much in this movie. Yeah. That is like, oh, you take everything that he has and everything he's ever going to get. Yeah, that was terrible. No, Oh, come on. That is such a good moment. No. Uh, under the killing tree as well. Like oh, yeah, a tree that probably they used to lynch bang, people. Bang, bang, bang. That's hitting the nail. But but the like using the tropes there he made the same point that i wanted to make in the video i just want to clarify that i didn't steal this material but it's a good video if you have time I you like can watch Nerd it as well Rider. yeah he's very interesting. It's, uh, the fact that like you have once the genre kind of dies okay yeah. you had the revisionist western that would be kind of like mccabe and mrs miller that completely is just set there and it alludes to things that are in Western genre. But other than that, it's not. It doesn't do any... Well, like, the gunfight at the end is him just running around trying to avoid getting killed. (laughs) (coughs) Sorry, ruined the movie. (coughs) But it was out in the 70s. You had enough time to watch it. You know, we have have the asterisk spoilers on this. It's fine. And then you had the the comedy kind of uh, parody, like Mo Brooks, Blazing Saddles, and numerous others. And then you have the kind of uh, mythical Western that undermines the genre completely, but at the end it just regains the idea of the myth, but it's gained in a different way that the original genre did in the way of, let's say, The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Or Pat Gary and Billy the Kid. No, Pat Gary and Billy the Kid is a bad example. 
and we're getting to the point in superhero movies. Yeah. The uh, especially with Deadpool being yeah, like the, the comedy Deadpool, kind of thing. Yeah, kind of like ripping it, the whole genre to shreds. And Logan, but while trying, also still existing within the genre. And Logan transcending the genre the same way that McCabe and Mr. Miller did, whatever, like dealing it almost as a western in a way. Yeah. But also as just a straight up family drama. But, but very embedded because, um, to uh, yeah. embedded to and also linking to this movie that Logan also had the 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 that Logan also carries the weight of having Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine for seventeen years the same way that Unforgiven has Clint Eastwood playing Cowboys for forty years. Yeah. That you project that my idea, my idea for this question is, what do you think a superhero movie in the vein of Unforgiven 40 years from now would look like? First of all, I don't think it's going to take 40 years because... No, I mean that like, the Western was dead <laughs> no, for but, 20 I mean, years or yeah, something. Yeah, but like, how long did the Western genre, that the heyday of it last? About 20 years. Yeah, like we're at not even 10 years really. I mean, because, like, what? The first Iron Man, like, like the, the current Marvel boom that we're in. Yeah. Like, that, obviously, like, there have been superhero movies before that. But, like, say what? Like, 2008, when the first Iron Man movie came yeah. out. So, it's not even 10 years, and we're already getting... But really, it would be, like... The Deadpool. Batman Begins would have been the, the beginning ever. Like, Marvel uh, kind well, of started catching yeah, up true, because of that. True. Okay, so. let's say just over 10 years, and then we get... Because when did uh, Batman Begins come out? 2006? Seven? yeah thereabouts yeah so we're in 10 years we're in the, and then we get deadpool which is like the kind of um the pastiche or whatever so so it's even moving quicker than the western i don't know i mean like isn't batman begins kind of like that though no batman begins most definitely not batman not. begins but like that the kind of the christopher nolan trilogy in a way is it kind of like is closer to something like um the assassination of jesse james than it is to the marvel movies in in but still like but that's not really subverting and yeah i don't know like what because they're straight up superhero movies but it's just that like he did it trying to make it the same way as you have something like uh, yeah i know what you mean um, it's almost like die hard that you that borrowed a the western tropes to make an action movie and it's still an action movie. Mm. The Dark Knight uh, uses mafia movie tropes to make a superhero movie. It doesn't sub- subvert anything yeah. of superhero movies. It just borrows from another genre. And I think that's something like Logan transcends it because it keeps referring to the myth of the superhero and the idea of what a superhero is rather than what Batman is. You know, like the idea of well, the entirety of Well, I think the, the idea of what a superhero is is being not very interestingly, but it's definitely become another trope within Marvel movies and that like it's all about them questioning and like humanity questioning whether or not we need these heroes and like that kind of like that's been yeah, but tackled like, but within. But it's done as a, a plot point. It's yeah, not done but, as a, an actual, like yeah, Logan is, yeah, the entire movie is but, an examination on that. But I think that in the source material, that's something that they've dealt with. They've just never, obviously, like there, you have an entire comic. Yeah, you can, you can delve into to real like issues of character yeah. and what it means to be a hero without it having to be just the part of the movie where like Bruce Wayne, where Bruce Wayne is sad because he doesn't. Bruce know. Banner. Huh. 
Bruce Banner. Whatever. Bruce Bane. What did I say? Bruce Bane. Bruce Wayne. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say. Well, Bruce Wayne. He breaks his own back. <laughs> really, really warm. Yeah, by the um, way, uh, I don't know how we've survived. This is a sauna. It's a because thousand we have to... degrees because there's two of us in my room and the window has to be closed for audio. You're welcome. And <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, and Norla's from Donegal. Yes, Orla can't handle it. But um, yeah, so I think that obviously like that, they have the source material there to be able to create that kind of film they just haven't because well the thing with I comic mean, books in general that i don't know if you read a lot of comic no, books i don't enough about them it's more the like the the most interesting ones are the ones done outside the continuity so they don't affect mm, yeah. uh, what like the the, the actual yeah genesis of the character but yeah. they, it's sort of taking yeah like kind like of, um, frank miller yeah, doing having, like batman year one and the dark knight like, um, they're like tangent series or well like it's aren't a, even yeah be graphic novels more than anything that is a yeah. contained story in itself while the marvel movies and every other uh, superhero universe are, are trying to do that uh, they're like part of a comic series but also in those it's just that there's more to do but even in those it's like only uh, of, um... uh, just a couple writers that tackle that that would be like uh, like Watchmen would be the, the clear example of a movie trying to explore uh, sorry a, a graphic novel that tries to explore the idea of superheroes yeah but uh, film-wise, is still very much a genre because comic books are not a genre. They're a medium. So yeah. there's a lot of different things that they can do. There's like different genres within but, comic yeah, books. Yeah, but they, they aren't current. Well, Marvel isn't, let's say. But I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't really answer that question. It's kind of hard to know where... Because it does feel, and I think like a lot of people have been saying this for a while, and not just people that don't like or aren't massively into comic book movies or superhero yeah. movies, that they because uh, going back to my point about the fact that everything is happening, you know, like this is all very compacted. It's very like the amount of Marvel movies that have come out is, and they're all very big budget, very you know what I mean. It's not kind of like say when you go back to like the days of the Western where they were being churned out, but a lot of them were much lower budget. This is like yeah, but every, there were so many a. Uh, a level and ma- mainly they were expensive because the westerns were yeah, yeah. made uh, outdoors so you had to take production yeah, away yeah. like the b movie westerns you're shot in studio but at the same time like when the western died like as a big force would have been like l- mid 50s and it was taken over by like there's an overlap in the yeah. moment by the epic movie that got killed by Cleopatra because that was like <laughs> they spent uh, like Facebook amount of money into it like um, but yeah so Oprah's entire fucking coffers people are already are and have been for a while tired yeah. of it because it is it's the same film over and over again it's the same it's hitting the same beats constantly we have the same characters we have the same sort of villains and I think like for some reason comic book movies are kind of getting to the point now where they're just throwing more villains in yeah as if that somehow adds more interest and then it ends with a battle uh, yeah city. like a battle that fucking battle that would last like a third of a normal movie but it's not a third Over because the these screen. are all two and a half hours long also what i find interesting like going back to the to westerns just though so, like i know we were talking about yeah. superhero movies a lot here but what do you think like what is like in 10 years from now or something yeah. like something like a film like directed by perhaps like Josh Sweden or something and starring mm-hmm. Christian Bale but it is like in a way that Unforgiven is 
or dances with wolves is to a certain yeah, extent. Josh Whedon is kind of a good example, I suppose, because even within like the Avengers and stuff, he's kind of like poking fun. At... Yeah, but like it, he's still making. It, my point is like that somebody would come along and do the same thing that Eastwood did with this. Yeah. Or, or no, but that's what I'm saying is that like I think that Josh Whedon has the potential. To yeah, do to it. to yeah. go and completely savage it and find something new within the spectrum because. Uh, well, like you didn't think that there was anything new in the West, and then <laughs> unforgiving. But I think that like Westerns, in a way, the way that's why like I'm gonna pick a few as this podcast go along, but I'll pepper them around. Yeah, I'm wondering actually if you picking my, my darling, darling Clementine, Clementine first was um, if I shot yourself in the foot slightly. Yeah, I was gonna say a, a more uh, randy uh, metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Show myself in the foot is better than... Uh, yes. Uh, but <laughs> what is your favorite thing, if anything, in this movie? Um, Probably, probably um, English... What's his name? English Bob. English Bob, yeah. Cause Was that your thought before coming into the movie or did I convince you about him? No, I liked English. No, I liked him Like as he was on screen. Even, you know, he sort of felt a bit silly. But... No, like he's because it's. I think he gets some of the better lines as well. Like whenever um, that's another thing as well. There is some quite charming dialogue in this, like hidden underneath all the like cliches and cliches and repetition. But um, uh, yeah, like whenever uh, he's like, you know, you have to go in and ask uh, to play billiards, and he's like, even if I don't want to play billiards, and he's like, like oh, they use the table, <laughs> they use the table for firewood back in whatever year, and he's like, quite right quite right <laughs> it's like yeah and then walks out into a gunfight but um yeah so he's very charming he's very funny i like richard harris this is kind of a fun role for him as well i think yeah um and he gives it socks like despite barely being in the film i love his fucking hair in that yeah fight. oh he just looks so cool um so yeah probably him badass dumbledore <laughs> the... don't kick dumbledore but uh for what, me what's your favorite thing uh my favorite thing will probably be the cynicism of the movie yeah. In a way that, like, yeah, it, it really is pitch black. It is a movie that I enjoy tremendously watching, but like, just the fact that you I went like that. I don't feel that it's as skewering as you're saying. I, the, that's I, the it, thing it is still that still felt quite sentimental to me. But that's the thing is that it's like even with the little text at the end, Ooh. is it like a world that the, is trying to be sentimental, like trying the its weird, hardest the weird, to be. The weird Star Wars scroll at the start confused me immensely. Well, like it, it really packs it in with the, the idea of the dinosaur novel. And I think that <laughs> it, what the film seems like, and I love this, by the way, yeah. is that it, it's like Christopher Nolan grabbed a dinosaur novel that had a good plot. And then went and shot it, okay? Oh. Even though Dunkirk looks like shit. But but like <laughs> not not in the in the sense that this looks like uh a Christopher Nolan movie, but I mean that uh, I like what you mean, but I don't agree. And I say that as a Christopher Nolan skeptic, but But like uh I well like we obviously disagree in this movie quite <laughs> yes. uh, uh, not venomously, but no, strongly. No, I, mean, I did not hate this at all. Well, like, it's I, not a, it was, another. Oh, what a lovely it war! Was but diverting, just, but ultimately just fell a bit flat for me. But what I, was your least favorite thing about the movie? Uh, probably uh, the Schofield kids' performance because I think it was yeah. an opportunity to. Uh, it should be more a very interesting it character. Should be more interesting than it was, and it felt like a weird sidetrack because of his performance. But I, I, I think that if. 
he sold the moment when he doesn't want to kill anymore. Yeah. If he sold that moment, it would have taken everything else because it it, it rhymes and it goes hand in hand with the performance that the Clint Eastwood gives as Will, uh, Morgan Freeman gives as Ned, yeah, as people pretending actor, to be something else. A better actor could have sold that a bit better. But. Well, like uh, not sold like the time before. If he absolutely killed it when he wants to stop killing, it, you get the idea that. If he absolutely killed it when uh, he decides to stop killing, uh, bad use of words there, but I'm sticking to it, uh, that he would, you would understand that the whole time it was a poised kind of thing. It was him pretending to be strong in front of like who mm. he perceives to be a very serious man, a very serious killer. And because he can't sell the moment, you realize that the rest is not on purpose. It's just about performance. Yeah. But if he sold that moment, it would have been like genius. Yeah. Like, but in this one scene that he had to kill it because yeah. it would give him a pass on everything just, else. Just because it would Casey seem... Affleck, damn it. <laughs> yeah, but Casey Affleck would have been a little bit too creepy. And I can imagine God, just so enjoying creepy. killing uh, more people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Are> you... <laughs> uh, okay. What's your least favorite thing? Besides the entire movie. Okay. Um, just the fact that like people, instead of saying one sentence, say ten sentences, often saying the same thing that they said in the first sentence, um, just in different ways. It, it just it feels like over, over, over. Like over, you just did? No. <laughs> not overwritten. Just... Touché? Just too... It kills me that you're like really going at the actual script of the movie that yeah, it's hilarious I it's, I, yeah like i just well like obviously you're yeah. uh, entitled to your wrong opinion but Aye. like uh, but I, I mean like this was that kind of situation where i was just like am i just not getting this I'll just... i think you didn't get it no no i don't think so well like it's not a perfect film because it has like some very like as we discussed especially something as big as one of the main characters giving a poor performance it does kind of lessens the film from the masterpiece that because the masterpiece has to be flawless in my eyes not that it is a perfect film but it's a perfect film for what it is that i can't see how it would do anything different yeah i don't know this it felt i felt like if the story was slightly more interesting and the characters were more interesting more engaging i i feel like i would have really gone for this film it's because strange. I like what it's trying to do. It it's, just feels so heavy-handed. It's very... Uh, I just noticed now that a yeah. lot of the times when you don't hold on to... Like, you don't like a movie in yeah. particular. Is that you couldn't relate with the characters. And it is quite interesting because it's completely different than how I read movies I in a way. I don't think that's true. Well, it's like, not about relating to the characters. Well, the, like, no, not, as in this, like, not in this situation. It's more that just I just don't believe that they're real. You know, which is a different thing than to be kind of going, oh, like, what would I do in that situation? Or, you know what I mean? Where, like... Yeah, but, like, I don't believe the English pop is real. But, I be, like, I believe him within the world that the movie creates. Well, I couldn't, so... Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. What is unforgiven in this movie? Oh, um... Because it's not unforgiving, it's unforgiven. Like you are unforgiven. Yeah. I think it probably relates to like their reputations and how you can't ever really, res- not like oh, you can't ever really escape who you are. You know what I mean? Like in life, you are never unforgiven in a way. Yeah. Like in the way of, I've forgotten his name. 
Will. Yeah. Uh, Will Money. Yeah. <laughs> the whole time I was watching it, I was like, Money? Like, M-O-N-E-Y? Uh, that's, Mr. Moneybags. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, like, in that kind of way that you can't, like, well, it'll catch up with you because he hasn't yeah. he, can, he hasn't really changed. He's just yeah. pretending to be someone else. Um, but uh, he does make a uh, good living in San Francisco off screen. Yeah, again. I like that. You know, he what is what was he dry goods? Yeah. <laughs> There's always money in dry goods. Uh, yeah, so that was Unforgiven. Uh, next week's movie is <laughs> Orla's Choice. Uh, it is. Which is Patterson. Jim Jarmusch. Oh yeah. Cool. We're going. We're going very recent. For once, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a French. I know. Was this our first nineties movie? Uh, no, no in the middle this of, is no. Well, that's what I was saying. That yes, obviously, what we just did was our first nineties movie. I think so. Yeah, because we were talking about this, but in the middle for love was actually two thousand. So there you go. Yeah, we're slowly but surely getting into every every decade. Hey. Just wait until I do the nineteen twenty silent movie <laughs> one. Um, where they can find us, Orla? Uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, the Recommendation Game, or Twitter at the Rec Game. You can email us at the Recommendation Game at gmail or you can find us on Dublin Digital Radio's Mixcloud. So I was Orla McNeilis, and I was an unforgiven Ricardo Deacon. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next week.